When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Use your time to reach the lost because there are people out there that are terrified. Men's hearts failing them for fear of the things that are coming upon the earth. Why? Because they don't know the end from the beginning. And we have it in that book, the Bible. Do the prophecies in Scripture prove the reliability of the Bible? Are the headlines on your TV, your, your phone, providing undeniable evidence that the Bible is trustworthy. We're talking about the juicy stuff, Bible prophecy and the end times, the rebirth of the modern state of Israel. How does it all fit together to somehow validate that the Bible is the true inspired word of God? Well, this man will show us. Ray Comfort is the founder and CEO of Living Waters. He's an award-winning television host and he's written over a hundred books and he has a killer New Zealand accent. What do we even mean when we're talking about prophecy? Like that that word's thrown around a lot. What does that even mean in a biblical context? Well, only God knows the future. And you've got people who think they know the future. Meteorologists think they know the future. Many a parade has been rained upon because they got it wrong. We really don't know what's going to happen in two minutes. None of us do. God does. I mean, if these horoscope people really knew the future, we'd all move to... Las Vegas and become billionaires overnight because we know where the dice is going to roll. But we don't know the future, but God does. And he's written the future in his word. And prophecy is the validation of scripture. It shows us that his promise of everlasting life is true. Prophecy is a hook for the world to hang the intellectual hat on. Mm. They want a sign. Just look at prophecy. Apostle Paul, Acts 28, 23, it says... He persuaded them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets. Law of Moses, that's the Ten Commandments specifically. The moral law, that's what I use all the time, following in the footsteps of Jesus, bringing a knowledge of sin, asking someone if they've lied or stolen, look with lust, blasphemed. That brings the knowledge of sin. That's the purpose of the law of Moses. But Paul preached concerning Jesus, persuading people, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets. Why out of the prophets? Because the prophets validate the scripture as God-inspired. That means the promise of everlasting life is true. If this book, the 66 books that we call the Bible, is the word of the creator, then the creator promises everlasting life to those that obey the gospel, to those that come to Christ. So, Prophecy is an incredible tool, and there's so much disagreement with prophecy. If you want to split a church in truth, stand up and say, <laughs> I know exactly what, I've got the interpretation, who the Antichrist is, right. da, da, da. you're going to split that church right down the middle. But so the, Ray's going to do a 90-minute sermon on eschatology, <laughs> ready, set, go. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, and so what I've done is I've tried to get, go down the middle to try and stay away from prophecy instead of throwing it out and saying this is divisive, it creates discord among the brethren, to say, no, this is valid to use prophecy when appealing to the ungodly. Mm. And so often I say to someone, do you ever study Bible prophecy? And they say, no. I said, do you know the Bible actually names 
the five countries that will attack that will attack Israel in the last days. And we're seeing prophecy being fulfilled before our very eyes. And I see people's eyes widen because they've never been, never been told that before. Mm. You know, the, the, the prophecies of Scripture validate Scripture as being the word of the Creator. You know, when you, when you talked about uh, the Bible validating itself and Paul reasoning with folks, I, I, in preparing for this talk, I was looking at some prophecies that get me fired up uh, just because it, it not, not just validates my faith, but it gets me excited. I, I'll, I'll read a couple just because I think they're, they're worth mentioning. Uh, Micah 5, it's pretty famous, yes, verse 2 wonderful. through 5. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, yes. out of you will come for me one who is to be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from ancient times. Uh, going down a little bit. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. They will live securely for then his greatness will reach to, reach to the ends of the earth. That is a crazy prophecy for this little tribe 2,500 years ago to write that his greatness will reach the end of ends of the earth. And verse 5 says, and he will be our peace. Mm. And it mentions his birthplace. It's like, wow, we now 2,500 years later get to see all of the, I could, I could name hundreds like that, but we get to live on the back end of that and see the fulfillment of all these prophecies. But the people that didn't get to, didn't get to have that, I feel like, man, we, we live in such a blessed time that we're kind of at the end of the story. We can look back and it's like, wow, this and this and this and this. And in a lot of ways, and, and I know you, you're writing a book about this, prophecy does kind of validate the Bible, right? Yeah, the name of the book is called Volatile. And it's the word I found myself using whenever I talk about Israel <laughs> and the surrounding nations. The whole thing is like a powder keg. Mm. And the attack on October the 7th was like the wick getting closer and closer to that explosion. But, you know, let me tell you something about Bible prophecy that I find thrilling in these terrifying days in which we live. My wife and I are big, well, we're not big. My wife and I are very large fans of rugby. Uh, rugby's a game that's kind of like American football, right. but you don't stop every 15 seconds. It's just really exciting. We can't watch our favorite team play live because it so stresses us out. Mm. I'm not kidding. My wife will actually leave the room, people around the edge. So what we do, and it's going to sound terrible, we won't watch a game unless it's a rerun and we win. And you say, how on earth can you do that? Doesn't that take the excitement out of it? No, because there's a silver lining. Mm. We know that we win, so we never get stressed. Though the whole of the opposition scream, yes, we just scored, we say, no, we know the end. Wow. And so we keep our peace. We don't get stressed. And that's exactly what it's like with the Bible. It tells us the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning. God's given us. We win. Righteousness wins. God wins. Jesus is coming. And so when these things come to pass, Jesus said, lift up your heads and rejoice. Don't get miserable. Don't get discouraged. Don't feel a heaviness. Just say, it's coming soon. Mm. And use your time to reach the lost because there are people out there that are terrified, men's hearts failing them for fear of the things that are coming upon the earth. Why? Because they don't know the end from the beginning. And we have it in that book, the Bible. Wow, what a beautiful analogy. Um, okay, so let, uh, well, let's talk about that. We're talking about a subject that, as you've mentioned, it's, it's, uh, people can look at it, it's kind of weird, or it's kind of out there, it's kind of like, ah, I want to talk about it. But in your estimation, does prophecy and evangelism somehow go hand in hand? Or is it 
oh well that's that weird revelation book we'll leave that at, we'll leave that at the end some brilliant scholar will decipher that one day where's the line between you know what let's let's not throw out 25% of the bible i've heard it said that 25% of the bible is prophecy let's bring that back in to reach people would you say that's accurate? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> but it's important to realize the place of prophecy and apologetics. Mm. This is going to sound as though I don't believe in apologetics, but I do. We've got something called the Evidence Study Bible that's pregnant with apologetics, just burstingly pregnant. It's got over 200 questions commonly asked by non-Christians. So I do believe in apologetical argument and in prophecy. However, if we see our agenda is to try and convince the world that the Bible is the word of God, it's a very hard row to hoe, and I'll tell you why. Let's say you're a skeptic, you're an atheist, you're a very foolish person, you believe the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything, which is what the atheist believes, utterly impossible for creation to create itself. But you're not convinced the Bible is the word of God, and you mock the whole thought of Noah building an ark. So I attack the whole thing intellectually and say, the ark could have been huge, the animals small, this is how it could have happened. Noah didn't get the animals, God brought the animals. And I convince you intellectually that Noah did build an ark. And there was a major flood because 70% of the earth is still water, which is a clue. There was a worldwide flood. Now I've got a problem. Now I've got to try and convince you that Jonah was swallowed by a great mm. fish that... Joshua stopped the sun by just speaking to it, that Israel shouted and the walls came tumbling down, that Balaam had a donkey that spoke to him, and a whole host of other things that are intellectually offensive. They're like Goldilocks and the Three Bears type stories I'm trying to convince you of. Then I've got to go to Jesus walking on water, taking a kid's lunch and feeding 5,000 people. I'm not going to be able to do it. Mm. There's a quicker way to do it, and that is... Do what Jesus said to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel Come on. to every creature because the gospel is the power of God to salvation. And once someone is soundly saved, God opens the eyes of their understanding so they can understand that God's chosen foolish things to confound the world. All these stories in the Old Testament are foolishness to a proud heart. Mm. Someone who's intellectually astute, they would never humble themselves to believe those silly Bible stories. That's the wisdom of God. I thank thee, O Father, you have hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. The door of salvation is very, very low. You've got to humble yourself. And that's what God's chosen, these foolish-sounding stories. So the way to do it, to reach someone with the gospel and convince them the Bible is the word of God, is to use the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation. It transforms the heart. If you do convince someone intellectually to give their life to Jesus and there's no knowledge of sin, they're a false conversion. They're not born again. They just come along to church and hear some sermon and believe they're going to heaven when they die. But if there's not a transformed life, if they're not born again, mm. with a new heart and new desires, they're still in their sins mm. because there's been no knowledge of sin because they didn't have what Jesus gave, the law to bring the knowledge of sin. Mm. That law is so important. You know, the work of the law is written on our hearts, Romans 2.15. That's the conscience. It bears witness. The word conscience means with knowledge. So whenever I witness to someone, I swing from the intellect to the conscience. And the reason I don't stay with the intellect too long is because Romans chapter 8 verse 7 tells me I've got a big problem. This is the problem. The carnal mind is enmity against God. Mm. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. In other words, 
the human mind is in a place of hostility towards God. And that same verse tells us where the hostility is directed. The carnal mind is an enmity to God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. In other words, it's God's moral government that's offensive to the ungodly. They don't want God telling them what to do morally. Mm. They're like criminals that hate the police because the police stand for righteousness. A criminal will kill an officer, not because of who he is, but because of what he stands for, his badge. He stands for righteousness. And that's why there's an enmity between criminals and the police. And that's what the enmity is between man and God. So you've got to address that by moving away from the carnal mind to the conscience, as Jesus did in Mark 10, verse 17. And the commandments do that. They go straight to the conscience. Wow. I wasn't planning on doing this, but... Uh, this show is predominantly uh, apologetic space, but you, you're, you're so right. It's the gospel first. And, and normally we would kind of end with this, but I think it's appropriate now. Let's say my friend here is watching this and they're like, gospel? What, what the heck is that? You know, I, I know there are people watching the show that aren't believers, that, that don't know Yeshua of Nazareth, that, that are just, just clicked on this video because I saw this charming looking New Zealand man. They're like, all right, what, let's see what he has to say. So what is the gospel? This is what I say to unsaved people. Have you ever heard the gospel? And they say, well, not really. I say, well, let me share it with you. In the Old Testament, God promised he would destroy death. That was his promise. In the New Testament, we're told Harry did it. I said, do you know that? No. As you've never read the Bible, the world's biggest selling book of all time. It tells us why we're here. It gives us our origins, the reason for existence, and tells us what happen, uh, happens after we die. And the Bible actually says the most fantastic statement in the truest sense of the word. It sounds like fantasy, and this is what it is. Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So that's ridiculous. People still die. How has he abolished death? I said, let me tell you how. I said, before I tell you how he has abolished death, I've got to do something that's going to make you feel real uncomfortable. This is my problem. I'm like a doctor, and you're like a patient who thinks he's incredibly well. In fact, you look well. You go to the gym every day. You've got a great physique. Your face looks healthy. But as a doctor, I know you are deadly terminal. That is, there's something seeping through your system that's going to kill you in two weeks. Because I've seen the x-rays. I see what's happening. So I say to people, I've got a cure in my pocket for this man's disease. What should I do? Give him the cure or show them the x-rays. And a lot of people say, oh, just give him the cure. I say, that's not going to work. Because mm. he's healthy in his own eyes. He thinks he's doing really good. He looks good. If I give him a cure and say, this is a cure to a terminal disease, he's going to be offended. He's going to say, what do you give me a cure for? I'm not diseased. This is ridiculous. It's going to be foolishness to him. Now, if I'm a doctor that knows what he's doing, I will pick up those x-rays and I'll hold it right in front of his face and I'll take a sober tone and I'll say, look at this poison seeping through your system. You're going to be dead in two weeks. And you say, whoa, I can see what you're saying. This is serious. What should I do, doc? Now he's ready for the cure. Now he's going to appreciate it and appropriate it because he's seen his disease. And the, the mistake of the church for the last hundred years is we've held up the good news of the gospel. For God so loved the world. We see John 3.16 plastered everywhere. Why aren't people getting saved? Because we're giving them a cure without doing what Jesus did and showing them the disease. We've got to show them the x-rays. We've got to show them the serious nature of sin. So why did Jesus use the Ten Commandments? It's so foreign to modern evangelism. What well, was to bring the knowledge of sin? It was to show the x-rays, to prepare the heart for grace. When it comes to the gospel, when it comes to prophecy, 
going back to that idea is those things, I think, go hand in hand, right? So is there like a, you don't shy away, is what I'm trying to say, from talking about prophecy when you're giving the gospel, right? Yeah, it's like we're fishers of men and women. When you go fishing, you don't just go with bait. You go bait, put bait on the end of a string, throw it out. You're getting out with fat, happy fish. They just go and leave. No, the bait has a reason. It's to hide the hook. And you cause them to nibble around and nibble and nibble, and then you pull in their jaw, and that's how you catch fish. Well, the hook is God's law. The bait is apologetics. It's, mm. it's, it's prophecy, whatever, because it causes people to nibble, and they feel quite confident and not. They don't feel uncomfortable talking about prophecy. I can mm. talk with pro about prophecy to my neighbor for ages without him feeling guilt. Right. He's going to be nibbling away. But I've got to pull that in. And just and there's a way to do it, and it's very, very simple. All you do is say, to, and you can do it right in the middle of a conversation. We're talking about Israel, the nation's coming down, and they're, they're going, whoa, whoa. You just say, if heaven exists, are you going to make it there? Are you a good person? That's the swing to the conscience. Mm. Are you a good person? We're going to go to morals. Or I'll say to someone, I've been addressing your intellect for about 10 minutes. Do you mind if we talk to your conscience now? They say, no, go ahead, because they don't feel threatened because they don't know where we're going to go. Mm. And that's when I say, well, you think you're a good person, and the scriptures say most every man will proclaim his own goodness, and just say, well, okay, well, how, many, how many lies have you told in your life? And they'll often start by trivializing sin. Mm. Well, I just told some little lies when I was a little kid. They were white lies. I said, what color were they? White. What do you mean? Well, not serious lies. Okay, so you have lied. Ever stolen something? I said, yeah, just small things. I said, like diamond rings? No, 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 just trivial things. They try and trivialize sin, make it seem not serious. But we've got to lift it up and show it's deadly serious with God. All liars will have their part in the lake of fire. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Thieves will not inherit God's kingdom. Then we ask about blasphemy, as we touched on before, using God's name as a cuss word. <clears throat> and the one that gets them, and this is the one that brought me to the foot of the cross many years ago, Jesus said, you've heard it said, by them of old you shall not commit adultery. And I remember reading that the night of my conversion and thinking, well, I'll make it to heaven because I've never committed adultery. But then I read where Jesus said, whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already with her in his heart. Mm -hmm. It was like an arrow hit my chest yeah and i thought oh, i'm undone i'm dead man i'm mm -hmm. a dead man on judgment day i'm going to be guilty if god has seen my thought life and he's holy and he does store up his wrath i'm in big trouble what that knowledge did for me was show me i needed the cross i didn't have no need for the cross made no sense to me until i had that knowledge of sin mm. and that's when i was soundly saved once i saw how serious sin was and could find a place of godly sorrow and then genuine God-given repentance. Wow. Wow. You know, your analogy of the bait and the hook, I think, is brilliant. So I'm going to ask you what, what your favorite bait is. But I, I, want to, I want to read a little bit, one, one verse in prophecy that just, that's, my, I think, one of the bait for me initially. Uh, and then I want to hear your favorite apologetics or prophecy bait that you use. But for me, it's in Zechariah, verses, uh, chapter 3, verse 8. It says this. This is just this is mind-blowing. Listen, High Priest Joshua, which is the name Yeshua, which is Jesus. So the name Joshua and Jesus are the same name. Listen, but this was written hundreds of years before Jesus. Listen, High Priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, you are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua, Jesus. 
There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave instruction, inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. He said he'd do it, yeah. and he did it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read one more because you, you've mentioned Israel, and I, this stuff, this is the bait that, that I love. I'm an apologetics nerd. I'm a, I'm a prophecy nerd, but more apologetics, and this is the stuff that is my favorite bait. But one more. So here's the question. Uh, how long does it take a country historically over the millennia to be established? India, I don't know, three, four hundred, five hundred years, a thousand years. China, I mean, four or five thousand years. Uh, Russia, thousands of years. But Isaiah 66 t- tells us of something ridiculous when this was written. Who has ever heard of such things? Verse 60, uh, 66, verse 8. Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day? Obviously not. A country can't be born in a day. Or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Well, duh, the answer is no. Yet, no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. And then you look at May 14th, 1948. One day. One day, in a moment. Man, that's my favorite bait. How about you? My favorite bait is kind of unusual. It's the human will to live. Mm. every single person has something in them that says, oh, I don't want to die. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says that every unsaved person is from the Amplified Bible, so I'll say it louder. (laughs) The Amplified Bible says they are haunted, haunted by the fear of death all their lifetime. So I say to unsaved people, straight off, you're afraid of death? And they'll go, yes. Do you think about it much? No. I know why you don't think about it. Because it's an horrific thought. It haunts you, am I right? And you see their eyes widen. You can see them processing information saying, how did this guy know? I haven't told my mom, my dad. I haven't told my friends, but I am terrified of dying. That's the will to live. It's God-given. He's placed eternity upon our hearts. And so it's something we can tap into. We have a book that tells us how to find everlasting life. Think of a waitress. She walks into a restaurant and sees three businessmen, three-piece suits, holding little important cases. They sit down. They're obviously wheeling and dealing millions of dollars. What does she do? Does she feel intimidated? No. She walks right up and says, can I take your order? (laughs) Why is she so bold? It's because she has what they want. She knows they want to eat. So she's bold. And we have what this world wants more than anything else. Wow. We're not religious. Ugh. No, it's not a religious bone in my body. I'm a Christian. I have everlasting life. I have treasure in earthen vessels. And that's why we must be bold. Mm. Because we have what the world wants more than anything. There are people out there today that are in these torture chambers called gyms. <laughs> or they're drinking green <laughs> slime to try and extend their life a little bit, to stay healthy and well. All that's just temporary. It's a death is coming. It's the great black monster that's just going to grab them and rip them from their loved ones. But we've found everlasting life. That's why we must be bold. If they knew what we had, and this is what Jesus said to the woman at the well, if you knew who it was that was speaking to you, you'd ask him and he'd give you living water. And so that's my... My, my confidence that when I'm talking to a human being, I'm not talking to a dog, a cat, a horse, or a cow. This is a human being made in the image of God with eternity written upon his heart. And that's going to work with me because if this guy who's an atheist 
really gets a grip of the thought that the Bible does how, tell us how to live forever and it can be, credi- it can be credible because of prophecy, that's going to make him want to listen. Wow. That's going to have a place for him to hang his intellectual hat. And then we come to the fact that only through faith in, in Christ that you can find everlasting life. Childlike faith, humbling himself. Wow. Well, this, is, this conversation has been amazing. We're going to have to have you back, obviously. And we've talked about the, the bait on the hook when it comes to prophecy, apologetics. Uh, but in our last couple minutes, again, someone just randomly clicked on this video, and this camera specifically, they, 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 they see Ray Comfort, and they're like, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm hooked. I, I see the bait. I, I, I bought. I, 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 I'm on the hook. What is the hook? What, what is the meat of the, of the subject matter that you want to tell my friend here who's randomly clicked on this video? Yeah, thanks for staying with us. Um, I would say to you, listen to your will to live, listen to the voice of your conscience, realize that God has seen your full life and there's nothing hid from the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You know, some of us think we've got secrets. The Bible says there's nothing secret. God sees everything, he knows everything. And every time you've sinned, you've stored up his wrath for the day of judgment. So we've established that. We've looked at earlier that if you look with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. The Bible says if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. So you have a multitude of sins. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. You've earned your wages. God is giving you the wages or the payment of death for your sins. And the same verse that says that, Romans 6.23, it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, most people know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but they don't know this. And this changes everything. The Ten Commandments are called the moral law. You and I broke the law. Jesus came and paid the fine. That's why he said it is finished just before he died. He was saying paid in full. If you're in court and you've got speeding fines, a judge will let you go if someone pays those fines. He says, you're guilty, but you're out of here because someone's paid your fine. And it's legal. Well, God can legally take the death sentence off you and let you live forever because Jesus paid the fine and full on the cross, rose from the dead, defeated death, and if you'll simply repent of your sins and trust in Jesus, you've got a promise from the God who cannot lie. He'll immediately remit your sins and grant you everlasting life as a free gift, not because you're good, but because He's good and kind and rich in mercy. So don't delay, because you may not have tomorrow. Get on your knees and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I've sinned against you. I need a Savior. I trust Jesus with all my heart. And he'll make you brand new on the inside so you love the things that God loves. And that'll be your personal miracle.